Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Jessica Walter died last month. She was 80 years old. Her family says she passed away in her sleep. In a career that spanned over 60 years, she played more than 120 parts on screen. So the odds are you've seen Jessica Walter in something. Maybe it was as Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development, or opposite Clint Eastwood and play Misty for me. Or maybe you heard her voice as Mallory Archer on the animated show Archer. It's a personal favorite of mine. You'll hear more about her many, many credits in a second. We're going to replay my 2014 interview with Jessica Walter. But I just want to say that she was an absolute treasure. It was such an honor to speak with her. And she was as generous and kind and warm as you could hope from her performances. Anyway. Here we go from 2014, my interview with the late Jessica Walter. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. The casting call for the part of Mallory Archer on FX's animated comedy Archer said the creators were looking for, this is a quote, a Jessica Walter on Arrested Development type. So needless to say, when Jessica Walter from Arrested Development's agent got it, she called her client. No audition was necessary. Walter's character, Mallory Archer, is the owner of an independent spy agency. Her son, Sterling, is the agency's greatest spy. He's a little bit like 007 if 007 sort of had to deal with the fallout from all of his sex and drinking and indiscriminate violence. In this scene from the show, Sterling, the son, is confronted by his mother, played by my guest Jessica Walter. He thinks he might have figured out who his father is, and he thinks that that father might be the head of a rival spy agency, or a different head of a different rival spy agency. Well, if you'd let me... Yeah, tell me how my father might be Nikolai Jakov, head of the KGB, or Len Trexler, head of Odin. I assume those are my only choices. Oh, my... Who else? Gene Krupa. What? No, wait. The drummer? Not Krupa, the other one with the teeth. Buddy Rich. Oh, my. I could never say no to a drummer. Could you say no to anybody? I said no to plenty. (laughs) Walter's most recognized these days for playing Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development, but she also starred in Clint Eastwood's Play Misty for me. Sidney Lumet's The Group in literally hundreds of television shows and plays and basically everything else an actor can do over her 50-some years of acting. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, Jessica. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That made me laugh, that clip. I forgot about it, it. It's funny. Adam Reed Adam Reed was on the show. He's the creator of Archer, uh, and he was on a year or two ago. And one of the things that he told me, Archer is a very vulgar program. Racy. He, we say we don't say vulgar, we say racy. Okay. It is it is I would say that it's both racy and vulgar. <laughs> it's both of those things. Um and uh he told me that he wasn't 100% sure you knew all of the racy things you were saying uh, and that he would have felt bad if he told you 
what they were. I'm paraphrasing from memory. I, no, but... I, I know what you're talking about. No, because I don't. I, half the stuff I don't know what they're talking about. And I I just say, give me a line reading, which, of course, you know, most is verboten. You, you never give actors line readings. But <laughs> some of them I don't want to know what they mean. So he gives me line readings. But I, I presume you know who Buddy Rich is. Oh, well, yeah. I, I thought you meant the racy stuff. Of course. You know, my husband is a drummer, Ron Liebman. So, yeah, I thought you meant the racy stuff. Like, there was one recently, Boom Chicka Boom Boom. It was written. And I said, what is that? And Adam said, well, you, I said, he said, it's a porn signature or something. So I said, well, just, I don't want to know. Just do it and I'll imitate it. <laughs> and he did it. You went to the LaGuardia High School in New York, which... Uh, was and is the sort of great performing arts high school of the United States. Did you go with the intent of making your life as an actor like when you were, you know, 13 or 14 years old, however old you were when you decided where to go for, go to high school? You know, uh, in my day, it was called High School of the Performing Arts. It became LaGuardia way later. I always wanted to be an actress, and I auditioned for PA. We called it PA. Uh, with that in mind... And when I, th- yeah, in those days it was high school was grades 9, 10, 11, and 12. So I had four years there and absolutely wanted to continue and persevere and, and did. What was the first big part you got in high school? In high school, I sort of became a, a, a heroine because they were doing Cinderella and a, a, a play, adapted play of something of Cinderella, and the woman playing the, the wicked stepmother got sick at the last moment. So I, who wasn't even in the senior class, you know, jumped in and learned the part like overnight. And that was my first big part in, uh, in PA. And were you typecast for a lifetime? Yes. Hey, good point. <laughs> I think I never thought of it that way, but I think I was. Yeah. True. Oh, dear. I was reading, I, I was reading interviews with you that you'd done around Arrested Development and around Archer, and a lot of folks asked you about being cast in those roles. And then I happened upon this interview with you and your husband from People magazine in the mid-1980s when you were— uh-huh. When you were newly married, yes. and one of the things they mentioned was the way that your your voice and the fact that you were sort of tall and beautiful oh. um, got you cast as mean moms starting from when you were like in your early 30s. It's true. You know something? I The first person that I ever played mother to was Kim Cattrall, the beautiful, wonderful actress, and I was 36, and she was like 23. <laughs> now go figure. You've played basically 10,000 roles, especially in the 60s, 70s, and 80s on TV. Um, and so we just, I mean, we were just sort of going through your filmography, and we just picked something. Uh-oh. Um, this, this description was written by my producer, Julia. Here's Jessica Walter as a saloon girl in The Name of the Game, a series from the late 1960s and early 1970s. Um, so uh, let's, take a, let's take a listen to you on this Western, The Name of the Game. Marshal, you wanted to see me? I want to talk to you about your morals, Allie. I don't understand. I've heard that you've been consorting with a man. Have you been letting a man come into your room after dark? 
Just you, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> do you even do you remember that particular one? You know, I I think I do. Uh, but that I ever got a job after that. <laughs> it's like amazing. But that was Warren Oates, a, a wonderful, wonderful character actor who died way before his, he should have. One of the great roles in your career was uh, Play Misty for me, uh, Clint Eastwood's first right. feature film yeah. um, uh, as, as a director. Um, it's from 1971. Right. Uh, Eastwood starred in it. He was a radio DJ for folks who don't remember at a jazz station in in Carmel, and you were a woman who called in regularly to the show, and he sort of realized was a stalker. Um, and so we're going to listen to okay. a scene. We're going to listen to a scene from the film. So I in, hope in it's this better scene, than the last thing you played. <laughs> okay. In the in this scene. Um, uh, Clint Eastwood's character, Dave, ha- hasn't heard from your character, uh, Evelyn, for a while. And um, a- as we as we tune in, he's he's on the air on the radio station. Caramel, Dave Garver. Hello? Play Misty for me. David. I didn't mean to shake you up. I'm sorry pretty stupid of me I've been released therapy it was a bad dream but it's over where are you? the airport San Francisco I've only got a minute or two between planes got a job in Hawaii you're alright then huh? fine David fine I just want to say how sorry I am about everything forget it I have I hope so because this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by you. Are you near a radio? No. But play it for me anyway. I used to work at uh, the opera in San Francisco when I was in high school. And the stagehands there would work on movies when it was an opera season. And uh, because... Clint Eastwood lived closer to Northern California, shot a lot of movies in Northern California. They worked on a lot of Clint Eastwood movies. And um, they would talk mess about everyone else they worked with and just, you know, complain and make jokes and so on and so forth. And then whenever they said anything about Clint Eastwood, they would visibly straighten up and refer to him as Mr. Eastwood um, out of just this deep profound love and respect that you could just see shining in their eyes um how was it it, what was it like to to work with this guy when he was you know obviously he was already uh obviously he was already a hugely successful actor but you know this was his first film as a director he was a wonderful he is is a wonderful person and was just perfect director for me um he he just had faith that he had hired the right people his crews stayed very loyal to him you know people from way back then are still on his crews um he's just a lovely human being and very smart as director very smart um it, it, my luck my good fortune to to be in that movie I never auditioned for it. He, we met. We talked about, you know, carrot juice and whatever and organic vegetables and, in his little office there at uh, Universal. And the next day I got a call, you know, got a call. I had the part. I, I, 
I, what can I tell you? Were you afraid about, I mean, not that you would question taking it, but, but were you afraid about taking on a part like that? Um, afraid? And, no, and, no, no, not afraid at all. It was a wonderful role, wonderful. And, um, I, you know, I just immediately related to the material. <laughs> you know, we, we, the thing about that woman is we, that people, I guess, could relate to the story. We've all had those our hearts broken by relationships that didn't work out, and we all have those feelings of rage and anger and uh, revenge that we want to, you know, wreak upon those people, and we can't do it. So I think when people see characters like that, they they that's where I think the thing about I I want you want to be the kind of character that people love to hate. Although that never would I was I afraid of that role. Um, let's talk a little bit about Arrested Development. What with it being one of the great television programs of of our time, um, I, I I'll play a clip. I'll, I'll start okay. by playing a clip from the show. So this is a kind of a, a classic Lucille scene from the original run of the show, and it demonstrates Lucille's a. Uh, her single-minded devotion to the things that she is uh, uh, interested in and devoted to and her obliviousness to everything else. So in this scene, uh, Michael, who is Lucille's son and is played by Jason Bateman, comes into her apartment and, and he finds her in the kitchen. Who let you in? Your new cleaning woman. What happened to Luce? Supposedly, Luce had to take her daughter to the hospital. That's Lupe, her sister. Oh, God, I hope she's okay. She's awful. Can barely wash a dish. Uh-oh. She better not walk through here after she's been in there. Tell me you've got an exit strategy. Mother. Oh, please. They didn't sneak into this country to be your friends. Wow. Don't you judge me. You're the selfish one. You're the one who charged his own brother for a Bluth frozen banana. I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? Ten dollars? You've never actually set foot in a supermarket, have you? I don't have time for this. <laughs> when, um, I'm so glad you like it. It's, it's our writing, that's our writing staff that we had, Mitch Hurwitz and our brilliant writers. Believe me, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. That I could tell you. <laughs> I, 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 man, there are just some great, just straight joke jokes uh, in that show. Um, just that, just that misdirection about oh, she can barely clean a dish, it's like that. <laughs> you could put that. That would be the best joke in any episode of any sitcom ever. Oh wow! Um, just, just drop it right in. You know what I mean? Oh my God! That's it. We had such um, great writers on that show. Let me, uh, let me ask you, what did you think of as being? You know, the things that Lucille Bluth wanted uh, in those in those stories on Arrested Development, like wh what was she shooting for? You know, Lucille, unlike Mallory Archer in Archer, who is a self uh, self-made, you know, woman whose money she made for herself and whose success is based on her own abilities. Lucille uh, is not self-made and her whole M.O. is to keep up the lifestyle that she's been used to and the money and the maids, the Lupes and the, you know, Esmeraldas. Uh, and 
it, it's a, the thing about I think the the conflict for Lu- Lucille is to, to to keep that going and somehow you know try to to be a good mom and she's really it, it it's hard to explain but she's very desperate and I think if you don't have desperation in comedy it's not funny and I think that's why our show uh, Arrested Development is is so grabs people because of the desperation of all the characters. You know, Michael is the Jason Bateman character, so desperate to keep his family together and uh, to have the, the people love each other and get along. It, it's the the real, true example of dysfunctional family at its height, those people. And I think that's what makes it funny. And Lucille, you know, if she can't keep that lifestyle going, uh, she has nothing. It's funny because you think of a dysfunctional family, especially, you know, in entertainment, as a family that fights all the time, a family that um, hates each other. And what I hear you describing and what I see on the screen in Arrested Development with Lucille is she's this character who wants to love her family, wants to be the perfect mother, and is simply just wrong about how to go about doing that and just just blinded by her having, you know, lost her footing underneath her, which is uh, someone to hand her a drink at all times and, uh, you know, someone with a feather duster at all times and so on and so forth. The, the, absolutely. I, you're absolutely right. You said it actually better than I did, so I have to think about what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you understand it better than I do. You articulate it better than I do. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. And she says, she says, I love all my children equally. I don't care for Job. You know, she she just doesn't know when to stop. You know what I mean? And it's it's when something move you know, that moves her happens or whatever. She says, This is one of my favorite lines. I I feel like crying, but I can't spare the moisture. <laughs> now that's great writing. That is great writing. I can't take any credit for that. <laughs> I think the I, I think the really central relationship for Lucille, even even above and beyond her relationship with her husband or her relationship with Jason Bateman's character, who is sort of the center of the show, is her relationship with her son Buster. Oh, um, yeah, Buster, my Buster. And, Buster is a sort of very sweet, uh, childish character, um, and he—he—he's yeah. I mean, he basically acts like a baby. <laughs> very dependent, very dependent on on mom, and she enables that because she needs to have that in her life. She needs to feel that someone really needs her that blindly and openly. But you know, in the, in, the, in the final episodes there on on Netflix that were recently run, <clears throat> and are still on Netflix, um, they it comes to a conclusion where you know Lucille tells Buster he's got to grow up and that she can't she can't be the you know the 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 giant hand quote unquote because he has a big giant fake hand for those listeners that don't know what I'm talking about she can't be that well his other hand got. Bit off. It's a long his story. His hand, yeah, but but his hand got bitten off by a loose seal. L o o s e s e a l. How's that for writing?
I don't know, B minus. That's pretty that's pretty interesting. I'm laughing pretty loud though to be criticizing it. <laughs> but that's you know and um he he she she lets him go. She says you've got to go. Um in the, in these latest episodes. We'll have the rest of my interview with Jessica Walter in just a moment. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Fidelity Wealth Management. VP Dylan Sanders shares why it's important to understand clients' values. People quantify dreams differently. So it's essential to be able to sit with a client and listen and ask questions and just begin to understand what it is in their life that they want to pursue and help them create a roadmap to get there. To learn more, go to fidelity.com slash wealth. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Whether you're looking to discover a new series to binge, find your next great read, or check out that movie everyone's talking about, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is your guide to all things entertainment. Every weekday, we keep pop culture in high spirits. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, Me, and now, nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin. Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes no no not at all the better ones the good ones clues ahoy listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence laugh if you must but mainly get all the great clues my brother my brother me it's an advice show kind of but a treasure hunt mainly anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps my brother my brother me the hunt is on welcome back to bullseye i'm jesse thorne Right now, we're looking back on the life and work of Jessica Walter, who died last month at 80. Walter was a brilliant actor who played in hundreds of film and television roles. You might know her best as Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development. She also voiced Mallory Archer on the animated series Archer. She and I talked in 2014. Let's play another clip from Archer, uh, which... Incidentally, I I will never ha- hesitate to say this on the air, is one of my absolute favorite television programs. Maybe my favorite TV show. Oh right wow, now. that's a compliment. Couldn't love it more. Um, so this is from the new season, uh, which in which essentially the entire team uh, is forced to stop being spies, and this is the instigating incident. They've all been arrested. They're all in separate holding cells, and they've all vowed not to uh, throw the other ones under the bus by uh, by volunteering any information. They've all volunteered information. But luckily, two of them, uh, uh, ha- Archer and Lana, have volunteered information as part of a ruse that ends up, you know, they end up breaking everyone else out. And so everyone is in the hallway about to bust your character, Mallory, out of this uh, interrogation room and then, you know, try and figure everything out. And uh, that's that's the point where we pick up. Your character is in the interrogation room, and you seem to be about to confess to everything in uh, you know in exchange for immunity. Nobody move! 
Or... What the hell are you doing? Getting us out of here. I've already done that. Let him go. And you'll just have to put that on my... whatever, crime tab. No, 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 no. Taking a federal agent hostage is a separate charge. Oh, well, then perhaps we should get him back on the phone. I... I I don't... There's no need to bother the... uh, Look, if you'll just sign this form... Do, 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 in lieu of criminal prosecutions for... Do, 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 treason, I hereby forfeit ISIS headquarters. And also agree to permanently cease and desist any and all ISIS operations. Or face a mandatory sentence of life in federal prison without parole. Signed, Mallory Archer. Oh my God. No, uh uh-uh, nope. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but that entire document is completely unenforceable. I correct you. You were wrong. For God's sakes, Turling, it's the government. Even if it weren't legal, they'd enforce it. Hey, save it for four nines of the Supreme Court. Oh, shut up. So, when when you do when you do the show, um, I'm I'm sure that the um, that the same things that make playing an imperious B, I will say, for public radio purposes, uh, fun or the bad the bad the bad guy or bad gal fun are doubly fun when you get to do them in the context of uh voice work where you get to you get to go big when you yes, want to go big yes broad broad and you know with voice work you, you it has to be you have to have a lot more energy uh if you ever had the energy with with that extra you know energy on camera I mean, you'd be laughed off the screen. It would just be way too large. But it it has to have an extra little punch, which is fun, big fun. Your husband has been on the show. He's, yes. he's He lives – everyone lives together in a house in the new season of the program, and he is among the people that live in the house. Right. Um, and he was introduced uh, just recently, or I believe last season on the yes. show. Yes. Um, do the two of you record together? You know, we did the first day. We did, and it's just it's so much easier if if you don't. So after that, we didn't. We didn't. But you know, I'll, we'll go down there together, and I'll wait for him to be done, and he'll wait for me to be done. So um, the family that does voice work together stays together. He's wonderful on the show. In fact, I, I want to play. I want to play a scene of the two of you talking together. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I respect that. But comparing ISIS to six Cadillac dealerships is like comparing apples to six Cadillac... Ron! What? Sterling is stranded at the Montreal Casino with his pockets turned out and, and this is just speculation, some new drug-resistant form of VD. Really? And you're in Schenectady again! I'll be home tonight. Oh, I know. Because what's tonight? Uh, Tuesday... Night? Box seats for the opening of Carmen at the Met. Babe, come on, I promise. I'll be there. Well, if you're not, you can just not bother coming home at all. I'm going to go back to this 1984 People magazine article. Uh, Yes. Um, My key piece of research that I did for this interview. Um, This is is Don Brinkley, who was at the time the executive producer of Trapper John MD, a show that you were on at the time. And uh, he says about your marriage uh, that when he first heard of the marriage between, quote, two very dominant, very volatile personalities, 
he found himself asking, quote, who's going to listen in this house? Question mark, unquote. Wow. Is that in the article? That's in that's in People oh, magazine. Wow. First of all, Don Brinkley and, and his wife Marge were two of the sweetest people ever living on the earth. He was a producer of Medical Center, and his daughter is Christy Brinkley. Uh, so what am I to say now? Who, who listens? We both listen to each other. Well, we would have made it to 31 years. Is that the question? You ma- you matched up to the answer that you gave uh 29. Oh, oh, what years did I ago. say? What did I say? Oh, oh you gave that's no, I was attributing it to you, but it's actually Ron, your husband. He says we both do. We learned how. Oh, that sounds like him. He is the best. He really is. Okay, now I want to talk for a minute about dinosaurs because you asked me if I remember dinosaurs, and I definitely remember dinosaurs, which I watched. Uh, every week with my mother. When you were like um, three. <laughs> not quite. I was okay. 11 or 12. Okay. Oh, perfect. That Perfect audience. Yes. I was exactly in the dinosaurs key demographic at the time. And dinosaurs was, um, uh, you know, this was, this was the era where the Simpsons had just exploded. And like the Simpsons, it was sort of a take on the 1950s Honeymooners style family sitcom, you know, the same way the Flintstones was. Um, only it was it was uh, giant live action puppets, animatronic. Um, yeah, it was animatronic, but with bodies, real people in them. Yeah, I mean they were really, really amazing puppets. I mean they still look they still look pretty darn good uh, twenty or so years later. So we have a scene from uh, dinosaurs, and you were the mom dinosaur whose name was Fran. Fran the mama. Let's take a listen. The terrible twos. That's an old wives' tale. So what do I look like, a debutante? Think back, Fran. You've gone through this twice before. Robbie and then Charlene. Well, let me see. I remember making little decorative twos for the birthday cakes. And then they were three years old. That's funny. I have no recollection of that entire year. My only disappointment is it, it lacked the signature catchphrase, not the mama. Yeah, I have to say a, a quick, quick, funny story about about dinosaurs. So the show went on for about three seasons, and at the end of season two, I got a call from the producer. Cre- well, he wasn't the creator, but he was the producer, and he he said, "Listen, I, you know, you have options with the contract. They can dump you. You can't dump them, but they can dump you." And he said, "We're, you know." We may have a problem, you know, with you continuing as Fran. I said, oh, why? He said, well, we've sent Fran to the dinosaur hospital in London. She's going to have a facelift. You know, they were they, this they, only in only in Hollywood. And we're going to fix certain things. We're going to change about her face and, you know, her ears. And we just hope we don't know that your voice will then fit the new Fran. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm getting palpitations just telling you this story because it's bringing up. And I, I said, oh, well, thanks for the heads up. And I tell you, for a month, I was in a depressed state. I couldn't I couldn't think of anything, but oh, my God. And then I got the call. Well, you know, she's had her facelift. We've looked at her. And uh, yes, yes, it's okay. Your voice will still fit the new, the new Fran. You believe this? <laughs> 
I, I seriously, it's 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 almost equal to a voiceover audition I once went on for a commercial for Borden's Milk here in the in the East years ago, and I got past the regular casting, and I went up to the suits, the execs there at BBDNO or one of those places, and they said. We want the moo of a cow that has been happily married for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I had mooed my way right up to this very, and I said, okay, so not nine and not 11, 10 years. And I proceeded to do about 25 moos, and I did not get it. Jessica, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Jessica Walter. She passed away last month. Her family has asked that in lieu of flowers, her fans should send their support to the charity Guiding Eyes for the Blind, which is an organization that helps train seeing-eye dogs. We'll have a link to their website on the Bullseye page at MaximumFun.org. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where I recently acquired a bench. Thanks to the good people at Abel Auction Company. Uh, thanks for that bench. It's a good bench. Paid a fair price. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. They've got a new single out, by the way, so, you know, Google The Go Team. Get to jamming. You can also keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post our interviews in all of those places. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.